All right. So uh, thank you everybody for coming. Uh, hopefully we will try and uh, get through our preparations and all that we need to do um, for the shear painlessly so that when we actually uh, hit the house and we begin the uh, the process, if you haven't started already, so that will also be hopefully a painless uh, type of, uh, of process. Okay, so let me just say from the outset what we're going to try and accomplish, what we're going to try and do over the course of the uh, the next 45 minutes, uh, you know, to an hour, hopefully, uh, what, what our goal is. So the goal is to go ahead and make sure that we our homes and our food is halakhically compliant with Pesach, with the requirements of Pesach. So that's really what, uh, what, what we're striving for. And in order to do that, so we need to define a couple of things uh, uh, ahead of time. And we'll start off with the cleaning part of it because that's it, believe it or not, that's actually the easier part of it. And then from there, we'll move to the kitchen to make sure that what we will then consume will actually be uh, kosher for Pesach. So the first and most important thing that they have to know when it comes to chametz on Pesach, so when it comes to cleaning the house for chametz on Pesach, and this is, um, we say that, Pesach is a time for Pesach cleaning. Shavuos is a time for spring cleaning. And you don't want to go ahead and confuse the, the two of them. So you want to make sure that when you're cleaning for Pesach, you're only trying to get your house to the standard of kosher for Pesach. And you don't want to go ahead and spend any extra time whatsoever um, uh, uh, using energy uh, uh, unnecessarily in order to get your house cleaner than, uh, than it needs to be. Uh, as important as it is to get the house ready for Pesach and all of that, uh, it's also, it's equally as important, and if not more important, to make sure that you are able to attend at the Seder. Attend at the Seder means that you're sitting there, you have energy, you have, uh, you're not falling asleep, and you're not already uh, so hangry as a result of the past two weeks of what's been going on, that you have no tolerance, uh, you know, even the questions of Manishtana, you know, get you going. <laughs> so yeah, you, you want to be in that position where even Manishtana great makes you, makes you crazy. So therefore, our goal is going to be to try and conserve energy and only do what we need to do. So chametz, there's two properties about chametz that you need to be mindful of when it comes to cleaning. Number one is we're only concerned about Chametz, which is the size of a kezayas. Size of a kezayas, let's just say for simplicity, this is actually smaller than a kezayas, but it's good for illustrative purposes and it will get the, uh, the point of cross. Imagine one snacker, one of those round crackers that people have. Imagine that being the size of a kezayas. So when you're looking around your house, when you're cleaning your house to get ready for Pesach, so you look through a room like this, if there was a snacker somewhere in this room, if I told you before class, I hid three snackers, so how long do you think it would take you to find those three snackers? Not very long because snackers are pretty big. You know, and if they're under a chair or something, you'll see them right away. With a quick scan of the room, you would see a snacker that size. Crumbs you may not see, but something the size of a snacker, something the size of a tam-tam has a hard time hiding without you being able to see it. So that's, rule no that's principle number one, is that what we're looking for is a kezayas. Measure that in terms of a snacker or a tam-tam. Yes. So, so the only time we're concerned about all the crumbs combining is in the event that over Pesach, you will combine them. So if you're gonna sweep them all up uh, or vacuum them all up, so then you might run into a problem, but if it's just crumbs, so then it, it's not going to be a problem. So number one is, well, yeah. What do you mean? 
we were we were for this we would consider the whole thing comes yeah so that is so the number one is we're looking for a kazayas we're not looking for something smaller than that something smaller than that is really inconsequential and number two which may be even the more important rule is that believe it or not chametz is an inanimate object which means it cannot go running away from you trying to hide every time you walk into the room So this is something which is which is very important because either you see the tam tam there, but you don't have to be afraid it's hiding from you somewhere. It's not like a mouse which is going to be sneaking around along the edges and tries to not be seen whenever you're going to be there. Either it's there or it's not there, and we don't have to imagine that it is running around. That there's a bunch of elves which are sprinkling rather than fairy dust. They're sprinkling chametz dust all over the house just to go ahead and uh, and uh, and make you crazy. So those two rules are the most important rules when it comes to uh, cleaning the house outside of the kitchen, but cleaning the house when it comes to Pesach. Then if you want to add a third rule, which is also important when you have, uh, by and large, an adult house, and that is that Chazal only said that you have to search or clean for our purpose those rooms where you may have brought chametz in. What does it mean that you may have brought chametz in? So the example that the Gemara gives is somebody is eating a sandwich and then they realize, oh my gosh, we're out of wine. Somebody's got to go into the wine cellar and get another barrel of wine. So somebody volunteers says, okay, I'll go. And they, they don't want to give up their sandwich. It's Romanian salami. So they take that down there they're with them as they go now into the cellar. And then they realize that the barrel of wine is actually quite large. They put down the sandwich, they grab the barrel, they come up and then everybody's all excited there's, that there's another barrel of wine and you forget the sandwich down there. That's the case where Chazal say that even if it's uh, so unusual, you don't actually eat in the in the wine cellar, but I, you may go uh, in there. I'm on a Zoom Pesach sure. You may go it, in there with it, a uh, with a sandwich and end up forgetting it there. That's the type of room where you have to be concerned that there's chametz. So now think for yourself as we apply this. So think for yourself: How much chametz do you think is hiding in your bathroom? Zero. <laughs> I'm assuming that none of you go into the bathroom with the f- sandwich and forget it there. And if you did forget it there, you'd see it the next time and say, I can't believe I just left the sandwich there. Whew, Hashem, nobody, uh, nobody caught me leaving behind the sandwich, you know, trying to sneak a sandwich in the bathroom or something. That's how desperate we are for some food as we get closer to Pesach. So we don't have to worry about, the, about that. So the bathroom, we'll talk about cosmetics. We'll talk about the, you know, that stuff later on. But by and large, you don't have to spend time in the bathroom cleaning and scrubbing and taking everything out of the drawers and then putting it back in in the cabinets and whatnot because you're not going to have chametz there if it's an adult house there's not going to be chametz there in your bedroom there may not be any chametz there you may have the practice in your house we don't eat upstairs if you have a practice we don't eat upstairs and you don't have little kids or pets which may bring chametz up there so then by and large the upstairs you don't have to worry about the chametz because how did it get there it's an inanimate object it's not going up the stairs on its own so if you don't bring it in and your, uh, your spouse doesn't bring it in, the adults in the house don't bring it in and there are no little kids. So again, you look at the room, do I see anything? How is anything gonna get into your sock drawer? How is anything gonna get into your, you know, your pajama drawer? Things can't get in there unless somebody puts it in there. So if you know that you don't bring food and put them into those drawers, why spend any time going through that, taking it out, wiping it down, folding it, putting it back in? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And that's going to take away from your, ultimately will take away from your Seder. So you don't want to spend uh, time doing that. Uh, makes it easier to clean up. I mean, you have to, you have to uh, get rid of it. Otherwise. <laughs> 
Rabbi, could you repeat the questions they're asking you in the room? Because yeah, we sorry. can't hear them. Is there a difference between chametz, uh, which is in a sealed container, like a granola bar, and chametz, which is a crumbled up granola bar, which is, you know, put into the carpet or something like that? Um, yeah, so just in terms of how easy it is going to be to remove it. I mean, even if it's sealed in a, in a thing, you still have to, you have to get rid of it. So that's why your, your kids, you know, school bag, you have to go through that. There may be some snacks, which you sent them back Rosh Hashanah time, and it's still there. You know, they haven't, uh, they haven't unloaded the, uh, the bag since, uh, since then. So that you would certainly want to go ahead and you would want to, uh, to look at. And certainly if there are little kids around and little kids have a tendency to actually do bring food upstairs or downstairs or different places in the house, and then forget that it's actually there. They may have been sneaking some food that they were not supposed to. So therefore it's going to be, uh, you know, it, it may be lost. So that will obviously make it a little bit more complicated, a little bit more time uh, it will take to go ahead and clean up. But by and large, most of the house, the bedrooms, certainly the bathroom, could be the family room, it could be the den, any one of those rooms, if there's chametz out there, you should be able to see it pretty quickly because a tam-tam is something which has a hard time hiding. And if you don't see something which is a tam-tam, you don't have to imagine maybe it's actually there under this, under that. You know, you don't have to go climbing under the furniture, all of that stuff. You don't have to spend time doing that because how did the chametz get there? So if there's no reasonable explanation how the chametz got there, you don't have to pretend maybe it's actually there and spend all that time moving furniture, sweeping, vacuuming, doing all of the doing all of those things. You could probably you have to know the mitzvahs. So you have to know what uh, you know how it would have been used. You know if it would only go into one place, then it only goes into one place. You don't have to pull the whole room apart, right? Now, the truth is, is that this rule applies to the dining room too. But as much as you eat in your dining room, if there's a tam-tam somewhere left in the dining room, you'll see it. It should, it should be there, hopefully, sometime between last Shabbos and this Shabbos. You actually saw that tam-tam and you cleaned up uh, before Shabbos. I'm not judging if you didn't. But there, there are, it is something which, uh, which uh, you know, you, you should be able to see relatively quickly. You know, as much as in school, you reach under the chair and there's gum and you you may find things. I'm, I'm assuming at your dining room table and whatnot, nobody is sticking gum or broccoli or, you know, <laughs> asparagus or something under the chair to save for later. And you have some breaded asparagus under your chair that you need to, to clean out. So, again, you don't have to spend much time. You look at the chair. The chair looks clean. If it looks clean, so then, uh, you know, then you're good to go. Then there, there's if you don't see anything there, it's not there. So that's the rule through uh, through most of your garage, your shed, the bedrooms, all of those things. Again, assuming that you don't have uh, little kids running around, so all of that is going to be uh, easy schmeasy. When you have little kids, then you have to check a little bit more. But again, if you if you look under a a dresser which is on legs, so you look at it, you take a flashlight, you just flash under the thing. If there's a tent in there, you'll see it right away. It's not as if you're, you're not going to see a tam tam just because it's under the dresser. If it's there, you'll see it. If you don't see it, so then you move on to the, to the next thing, under the bed. So again, you just look quickly. Hopefully there's not too much storage. So you're not using under the bed as storage space. But you'll look under there. And then, uh, you know, if the stuff is there, it's there. If you don't see it, so you just uh, move on. And that takes care of most of the house. Yeah. Something like under a, if the question. Okay. 
So the question is, if I, if I don't think something is there, but it's possible, so should I go ahead and check? So that's why I said, just take out a flashlight and just check, you know, just look under the uh, the dresser quickly. If you see, if there's a tamp you'll pull it out. If you don't see something there, move on. So it shouldn't take you more than two seconds to go ahead and, uh, and check. Right. So now the, the question is, what about uh, where you know that there is chametz there, but it's really uh, by and large, it's inaccessible. So it's under the stove, it's uh, under the refrigerator, behind the refrigerator, um, you know, it's behind uh, a large bookcase or something like that. And you never actually move that stuff ever. It just uh, remains in place and whatever happens to be there is there. So technically you don't have to, uh, you don't have to go back there. That's considered to be the same thing. Chazal talk about not if you have a large refrigerator or a large bookcase, but they talk about what happens when you had a wall which collapsed. So you know that there was chametz there, the wall collapsed and now it's buried under a bunch of rubble. So do I have to go you now sifting through the rubble in order to find the chametz, which I know is there in order to, uh, to extract it, uh, 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 to do uh, uh, clean the house for Pesach? So Chazal say, no, once something is considered to be inaccessible, so then it's, uh, you could consider it, uh, your bittle will cover it. The declaration of nullification will, uh, will cover it and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I say uh, every year that the, for whatever reason, they put vents in the kitchen floor. So one year I actually pulled off the vent and actually put my hand in to see what I came up with. You got you, you could actually come up with a whole handful of chametz over there because Cheerios get in there and different types of cereals get end up getting swept over there. I think one year the kids thought it was a slot machine and they were just <laughs> seeing, <laughs> seeing if they could win, seeing how much stuff they could go ahead and actually put in there. But there's a ton of stuff which is in there. But, you know, as starving as a person is on Pesach, and you may hear that a lot. I'm starving. As starving as you are, nobody's reaching into the vent and say, ha, I know it. There's a stash of food. <laughs> there's a stash of food in the vent there. I'm going to go climb in and climb me. You go, you climb into the vent and, and get the food for the rest of us. Nobody's going to do that because we just don't. So under the dresser isn't as inaccessible. You don't have to pull, you don't have to pull out the refrigerator or pull out the stove in order to get that. That you could just look under. We happen to pull it out because there is food and I don't make the rules of my house. So <laughs> I could I could talk about halacha and show up when I get home. I'm not the rabbi and I don't make the decisions. So I pull out the refrigerator. I pull out this stove. I, I, have to, I have to do all of that just because I do. That's why I fall asleep at the same. <laughs> no. uh, but that's uh, that's why I'm speaking from experience. But that, that's, uh, so that's, uh, that, that's going to take care of most of the house. Because you're looking for a kazayas. If you don't see it, it's not there because chametz is an inanimate object and it cannot go running around somewhere on its own. Okay, so that is going to take care uh, of the house. As I said, you may feel the urge to go ahead and clean more and to do more. Don't hold off that urge and just wait till shuas. There's nothing really that you need to do to prepare for shuas. Anyway, not that much that you need to do to prepare for shuas anyways. So all of the additional cleaning that you like to do, cleaning out the drawers and getting rid of stuff and all that spring cleaning, you'll do that for shuas. It'll make the house beautiful for shuas and you'll feel that it's almost like Pesach. Okay, so now, uh, so that makes the house Pesach thick. Now what we need to do is we need to make the kitchen Pesach thick so that we can make sure that the food that we eat will also be kosher le Pesach. Okay, so now um, let me just say that, that there are people who clean every, who search for every last crumb, but we shouldn't. 
<laughs> Those of you who are here, you should not, uh, you know, adopt that chumrah because that chumrah is going to come at the expense of your ability to be able to enjoy Pesach, to be able to enjoy the Seder. And I don't think that adopting a chumrah, which is going to take away from the key mitzvahs which you have to do that night, that it's a worthwhile cheshbon, it's a worthwhile uh, exchange. I just don't see it. Okay, so now we get to the kitchen. So now, uh, in many ways, God has blessed us we could either look at it that way, positively, that God has blessed us in the 21st century, or we could say that God realizes we're a bunch of wimps and can't handle anything, and therefore he made it easier for us. So whichever way you would like to go ahead and look at it, but life is a lot easier for us now than it was in the past. So uh, would I be safe to assume that everybody has a self-clean oven? Yeah? <laughs> Functioning is pretty important for... Uh, yeah. So did the igniter went out? Oh, that, that, then it would turn off the oven. Uh -huh. Okay. So self-cleaning oven is is a wonderful thing because self uh, um, self-cleaning oven is essentially in halachic terminology that means it's self-cashering. So the heat gets high enough in a regular self-cleaning oven that whatever is able to withstand a self-cleaning cycle comes out kasher. Now the racks, for example. So they're not really designed to go through a self-cleaning cycle because the shine will come off of them and then they won't slide in, in, in and out as well. Okay, you find that out generally after you make that mistake once and then, <laughs> then it's already too late for that and then what are you supposed to do? So then you might as well just leave it in there uh, moving forward. The grates on top, your stovetop grates also, so cast iron or something like that, they should also be able to withstand some pretty intense heat. So by us, I just put that into the self-cleaning oven also. I don't wipe it down. I don't clean anything ahead of time. Just put it into a self-cleaning uh, oven and all of that comes out kasher for Pesach. That is the kasher process. You have to wait to it. When you're using self-cleaning oven, you have to wait 24 hours in advance before doing it. You could go straight from pizza to self-clean. You don't have to clean it ahead of time because the, the heat is so intense that it burns up whatever is there. All the stuff which is left when you finish a self-cleaning cycle, that's carbon. Carbon is not chametz. So you don't have to worry about any of that. That's, uh, you know, you can just uh, ignore all that stuff which is there. The only thing that you should be a little bit mindful of is around on the door, there's a seal, there's that mesh thing. So that from that seal in outwards, that doesn't, that's not as ex exposed to the same intense heat. So there, I would actually spritz. Before you do the self-cleaning cycle, I would spritz around there. I would try and wipe that down once or twice, not make yourself uh, crazy, but try and do that. Because once you spritz it down anyways, there's some easy off or something, it's really inedible and it can't, uh, inedible is not uh, chametz, but try and wipe that down one or two times, then you run the cycle and then you don't have to, uh, you don't have to worry about it anymore. So anything which can go into your self-cleaning uh, oven and will come out on the other side, that's considered to be kashal pesa. So that is the easiest. You don't have to hold the blowtorch yourself. You don't have to go ahead and do any of those things. Just to, just throw all throw all of it in. In the event that your self what's that? in the event that your self cleaning oven is not functioning, or you don't have a self cleaning oven, so then what you're doing is you're doing a lower form of what's called libun, a lower form of kashering with fire. And that requires that you can't you have to wait 24 hours since the last chametz use before you'll be able to kasher it you want to go ahead and you get in there and you want to clean it to the degree that you can. Again, not make yourself crazy, trying to scrub every last uh, you know, black spot off because that's impossible and you're never going to go ahead and do so anyways. But you want to make sure that by and large, or any 
food which can be scraped out has been uh, has been scraped out. That you've cleaned it pretty thoroughly, but not make yourself crazy. And you've waited 24 hours. Then you go ahead and you turn the oven on to whatever its highest temperature is. It may be broil, it may be 500 degrees, whatever your the highest setting for your oven is, you want to turn that on and you want that to stay on for at least an hour. Self-cleaning will give you, you know, two and a half, three hours, it'll go ahead and uh, burn all this up. But for uh, for a regular oven, an hour is going to be enough. It's not going to get hotter than the whatever after it's been on for an hour anyways. And therefore, once it reaches whatever its highest temperature is, so further costuming is, un- uh, is unnecessary. But we give it time to get the, that, that, that temperature. Yes. So, no. Yeah. If, if if it will allow you to do it short, I wouldn't do it five minutes. You know, it's got to it's got to get. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Again, I, I don't know the 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 the, uh, the engineering of it. The, you know how, how long it takes for the whole inside the oven to get to to that temperature. Mine, I think, by us, I don't think you could do anything less like two and a half hours. You can make it longer. You can make it short. I don't know if I could do anything less than two and a half. Oh, I don't even know if I could. I don't know if I could cancel. Certainly two hours is good. If it, if it goes off after two hours, I can't imagine it's going to get hotter than that after two hours. Yeah. So after self-cleaning, can you, you don't have to wait any, you don't have to wait for 24 hours. For self-cleaning, right. Cleaning. Nope, you're good to go, right? You can do pizza at 12, self-clean at 12.30. By three o'clock, it's now Pesach thick, and you can start making your Pesach thick chicken at 3.01. But in the, uh, it'll probably take a long time for it to cool down. We'll let you open the door. But uh, whenever it lets you open the door, you can go right away. That's that that the value of the self-clean is that it really is uh, self-costuring, and uh, costuring with fire is the best form of costuring. You don't have to make No. You you no because by the time you're done, that heat doesn't have any chametz, which is it's not like chametz sticky heat, which uh, which, which is there. But it's easy, but it's not cold. Like it's still, it's kind of a question. If you don't want to put your racks in. But it, what, what, what do, you, do you finish your question? Or? Yeah. Okay. If you don't put your racks in. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't put your racks into to the self-cleaning oven because you want it to retain that, uh, the shine and that it should be able to uh, slide in and out easily. So then you'll actually have to cast it with a blowtorch or something. You have to buy yourself a blowtorch. Find somebody who has a good blowtorch. So the, the reason why that it's more machma over there is because the, the way that the, the racks inside of oven become chametzdik usually is food actually spills on it. And it's what we refer to as a dry heat. So it gets absorbed with fire. So the only way to uh, extract that taste, or in this case is gonna be incinerate that taste, is to use fire. So you'd have to blowtorch it and wait till the, you know, as you run the blowtorch over, make sure that the, uh, every part of it gets, you know, super hot. It used to be the, the criteria is red hot. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about grills. Yeah. About the yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm going. I'm going to get to self tap now. Okay. So your stove cap grates. So in the event that you, as I said, you could put them into your self cleaning oven. So that's great. Then you don't 
Great. So then you don't have to, sorry, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm going to be the next comedian for the show. So uh, I am already. So, so that is going to be, uh, so that would be uh, ideal in the event that you don't want to put your, your, um, uh, the grates into the, uh, into the, uh, in, into the oven and you want to just cast them on top. So now we differentiate between electric and gas. So if it's a if it's a gas powered stovetop, so what you want to do is again we're going to be castrating with fire. The father, the fire is the fire which comes out of the stove itself. But what you want to do is you want to find a large pot, large pot meaning that it's wide, so that it will cover as much of the grate as you can. Put some water in so you don't burn the pot because that would be bad. And then you turn on the uh, the uh, the stovetop for 15 minutes. 10, 15 minutes, that will allow the fire to spread as wide of an area as it can. And that also is considered to be self-cashering. And uh, you don't need to wait 24 hours in advance. And as soon as you're done, you could use it right away because that's cashering with, with actual fire getting to that, that high temperature. You have to finish first, so if you're doing, if you're doing, no, you, you don't have to, you, you may, Ipsa. The question is, do you have to clean your grates, your stovetop grates, before you castor them with the pot on top? So technically not, because the fire should burn it up. Uh, it may take longer, though. It, it's, it's, it's a wise thing just to wipe it down so you don't have anything which is on the grate when you're castoring it, which will burn up and then you know throw you off in terms of whether or not that it's actually being effective. So I would wipe it down, but just wipe it down briefly. You don't have to spend time scrubbing it because the fire will incinerate whatever whatever is there. So the way our oven is now, we actually have, although we have four grates, but it's really, uh, sorry, we, although we have four burners, it's two, two grates, two long grates. So for that, it doesn't matter for me because I put in the self-cleaning oven, but back in the day when I had four different you know, square grates, which went around. So I actually had, you have that one burner, which is that super large one, the small one, and then the two medium ones. So I used to do each one of the grates, I would put it on the super large burner one, because I figured that one's going to get the hottest. And then, so it took me a little bit longer, it would take me like an hour or something to cycle through all of them. So they all get to burn up on that one, which is producing the, uh, the, the, the largest flame. But once again, fire is self-cashering. And therefore, uh, just make sure that it's visibly clean. Put that pot on there with some water. Let the uh, turn it on to the highest setting. Let it sit there for 10, 15 minutes or so, and then that burner is now considered to be kosher for Pesach, and you don't have to uh, to cover it. Yeah. So I, I, I actually I actually put those in the self cleaning oven also. So you you have the you have I don't know what the different pieces are. You have the grate, you have the cap, and then whatever is under the cap. So those three pieces. Distributor. So uh, all of those by me. I just throw all of that into the self-cleaning oven. It comes out again. It comes out, uh, you know, kosher pesach. But if not, so you, then if you were going to, if you're kashering and not inside the self-cleaning oven, if you're kashering on the stovetop, so then I would clean, I would wipe those down to make sure you don't see any visible food, and then. We assume that that also is going to be exposed to that intense heat because there's fire all around there radiating even downwards. So that uh, we assume that that will uh, castrate it as well. Can't really cover much of those anyways because where's the gas going to go? <laughs> it's going to be a bad thing. It'll castrate the house because it'll burn down. But <laughs> um, so that is going to now in the event that you have an electric stovetop. So an electric stovetop. So the post can differentiate between whether it gets red hot or whether it doesn't get red hot. But don't worry about that so much. 
get clean whatever the surface is that you can, and then turn it on also to its highest setting. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, doesn't matter, you know, with the, around that time, it's going to get the advantage of the electric because it gets really hot really fast. Um, and once it reaches its maximum temperature, so that it, uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, kosher at that point anyways. So 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you just need to make sure that it gets that, to, to, to that temperature. Now, your grill, grill? Oh, sorry. Fifteen is a good is, is a good amount of time. Now I should say that on, on your on your stovetop, so it depends on the construction of yours and how exactly it's built. But there is the area in between the burners. So the area between the burners that doesn't get exposed to the heat. So now technically you should be able to take a blowtorch if you want and blowtorch that and capture it that way. The truth is is that the way the area in between the burners will become chametzik anyways is because something spills over there. So you may be able to kosher it by using your steamer or uh, pouring boiling water over that. But I, I, I don't like, uh, I stay away from boiling water unless I absolutely have to. So I find it much easier just while everything is, is in this self-cleaning oven, you know, getting heated up or whatever. So I take out the heavy duty uh, tin foil and I just spread out two layers of heavy duty tin foil. You know, you have to, you know, uh, what form it into a you know to, to shape it into whatever the the thing is going to be, so that when you uh, when you put the uh, the burners back on top, so it, it it'll fit in. But I find it to be much easier. So I don't bother with boiling water. I don't bother with the steamer. I don't bother with the blowtorch. I just go ahead and cover it with two layers of tin foil, and then the burners will sit on top of that again, poke the hole for the gas to be able to come out. That's always helpful. And then. Uh, uh, and that, that makes it easier to go ahead and, uh, and manage the, uh, the, uh, the stovetop. The barbecue grill. So barbecue grill. Wait, before um, you start the barbecue grill, can I ask you a question? Yes. Okay. So after you do the, um, elect, not electric, the gas burners, I don't have electric, I don't have, I have electric, not gas, but I just okay. have a question. Um, if it's uh, gas and you keep it on afterwards, you don't have to pour hot water, burning hot water or anything by the stove? On the burners themselves, no. Oh, but around it and everything, it does have to have the the, around, the around it. Either, either around it would either have to be kashered with boiling water, but a safer approach is to cover it with tin foil. Gotcha. Okay. If you pour the water, then you don't have to cover it. If you pour the water, then you don't have to cover it. Okay. But I wouldn't do it. Why? Because um, uh, number one. Number one, boiling water is 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 dangerous. You know, almost every year you hear stories about people who uh, uh, end up in the emergency room uh, air pesach because they were kashering and boiling water, uh, you know, landed on a foot or something like that, even if they're wearing their uh, their shoes. Uh, and then number two, uh, it's it's it, when we talk about the sink, we'll see that it's very tedious because you have to have the stream hitting each part of the uh, of the stovetop. So yeah. that's a lot of water. It's not just you spill one bowl of water and just let it. You know, splash all over the place and assume that it's all kosher. It only gets kosher from this the, the stream coming out of the pot itself or the tea kettle okay. itself, which means that you actually have to go slowly and meticulously. Well, what uh, about using a steamer then? What? So, what about a steamer then? A steamer would be a little bit more effective. Yes. Mm -hmm. We'll talk when we get to the sink. We'll talk about the steamer if you have the right kind of steamer. Yeah. Yeah. No. 
No, just it should be enobanyon. It should not have been used. The pot which you're going to use to cast that's going to spread out the fire on your stovetop. So that could be a chametz. It's probably better if it's a chametz the kapat, but just make sure that it hasn't been used in the past 24 hours. Because otherwise, you may have a shayla about whether to you use your pesach the kapat. Maybe you would have to kasher your pesach the kapat because. So your barbecue grill, technically, you should be able to go ahead and uh, and kasher it. You have a gas. Or you have charcoal, what type of charcoal? So the way that you would have to do it though is, so the, the, the challenge with barbecue grills and koshering them for Pesach is that uh, there's a lot of residue on there, a lot of food uh, drips. People are not necessarily so conscientious to clean it between one thing and the other. Again, not judging, I'm just saying. That, that's, uh, that it's uh, a common thing that people don't clean it uh, so well. But uh, what you would do is, is you, you literally fill it all the way up as much as you get charcoal in there. And you light that up and you just let it burn till it goes out. So that's as hot as it's going to get. And then we assume that you could put charcoal on the grill also, you know, uh, to, to make sure that all that stuff is burned. You know, the stuff on, on the top of it is, you know, it's a little bit harder also to, to get there because you won't be able to keep the charcoal up there. You ha- keep your hand there, it'll hurt after a while. <laughs> So, uh, so that uh, you know, so but but that's something which, uh, which which people have done. I think I've talked about in the past that uh, somebody did their they had a gas line to their barbecue grill and they were all excited to kosher it for Pesach and they filled it up with um, with charcoal and they let it uh, burn out and then when they came the next morning to see it, so they forgot to take off the knobs on the front and they had melted <laughs> completely. So replacing those knobs is pretty expensive, yeah, yeah. For, for some unknown reason, but it was a, a pretty expensive uh, thing. So you'll want to make sure that if there are any knobs or anything classic or something, that will melt that that degree of heat. Yeah. With charcoal, yeah, with charcoal, yeah, if they're, if they're, if they're in charcoal, yeah. Yes, that would anything which will stand the uh, if you could put your silverware in the self-cleaning oven that will cost you that too I just I just don't know if it'll last plastic wear you know. right the, the right the lid is a it's, it's a harder thing I don't think it's worth it. I mean I wouldn't as much as I like the barbecue but you can buy one of these uh, one of those um Disposable ones, no, this uh, disposable one. They, you know, like ten ninety nine or something. Jewel, you get it to grill, throw it away, and then you're, you're done. Um, okay, so now once we're on the topic of ovens, not it's really the same thing. So microwave ovens. So microwave ovens. Also, people want to know what to to do. So there's a big debate about what uh, you would do for microwave ovens. The reason why microwave ovens present a particular problem is number one, there is uh, it's a by and large, plastic inside. And we generally don't kosher plastic for Pesach. So that's impediment number one. Number two is there's usually a glass plate, uh, which is inside, which isn't the biggest deal, but we, we generally don't kosher glass for, uh, for Pesach uh, either. And then, then number three, the exact method of how you're going to kosher um, it, it, in my mind, doesn't seem to be very efficient. It doesn't seem to be thorough enough to, uh, you know, for my comfort level to be uh, to be kosher. Because what you need is, is everybody knows that the, the tendency of microwaves is that if you leave food in for too long, then it, food will explode. 
you've got boiling hot food which spritzes all over. So the methodology for kashering has to replicate how it absorbed the taste in the first place anyways, which means effectively that you need boiling water to hit everything. So how do you get boiling water to hit everything? So we try our best and we put in a couple of bowls of water, a couple of cups of water, and we turn it on for like 10 minutes or something like that. We hope that it'll boil up and there'll be lots of steam, there'll be a cloud of steam in there. And that steam is equivalent to boiling water and that's going to extract all the taste. Uh, the problem is, is that most microwaves, at least nowadays, have a relatively good exhaust fan, which specifically doesn't allow it to cloud up with steam inside. So the, here is where technology actually works against us a little bit because it doesn't allow that. So what I've been saying for years already, and this is true of almost all of the appliances that you would ask about whether you could kosher other than your stovetop and your uh, and your oven is, assuming that you have the storage space, is all you need to do in all likelihood is buy a microwave oven once. Doesn't have to be a big one because how, how many days are you actually using it for Pesach anyways? Because you've got Yontif and you've got Shabbos and all of that, 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 that stuff. But if you buy it once and you use it just for the week before and the week of Pesach, let's assume two weeks out of the year. So that should last pretty much the rest of your lifetime. So it's an investment that you make once, it's the $70, $80, $100, let's say it's going to be, you buy that once, you don't have to worry about the questions about kashering your hummus stick and microwave, and you just have the Pesach stick and microwave, and then you're good to go without, uh, without any kashering questions. So I say that as far as the microwave, we have a separate toaster oven, which we have just for Pesach one year, I think uh, COVID, I think we got ourselves a deep fryer just, uh, you know, that we have just uh, for, for Pesach. Somebody suggested today that we should get the Betty, Betty Crocker for matzah pizza. It'll be, we'll be able to go through matzah pizza quicker and a Betty Crocker. So, you know, you buy one of those and then it's just, that's just your Pesach stuff and you put out and you don't have to worry about cashing anything, cleaning anything. You just have all those appliances, which are just Pesach thick. And again, if you have the storage space to be able to handle that, so it's much better halakhali to do so. And, you know, every year you buy one more appliance and that way you're, uh, you're good to go. So that's really what I would recommend for all of the, all of those, uh, those things. While we're on that topic, before we get to the sink in the kitchen, in the, uh, the refrigerator, and whatnot, in the, in the, uh, the countertops. So people want to know as far as their urn or a Keurig, whether or not you could use your chametz one uh, on Pesach as well. The thinking is, I only use it for water. I use it on Shabbos. We put water in before Shabbos. It's on for Shabbos. After Shabbos, we unplug it, we empty it out. And that's all that it does. And that, uh, that's it. So it really depends on, you have to know your family. So by me, I would never do that in a thousand years because I've seen my kids make instant oatmeal with that right up to the no nozzle. So they put it right up in there. They make, when they make their uh, tradition soups, right up into the nozzle of there. I'd be afraid to actually look inside of that nozzle and find oatmeal and uh, you know noodles, tradition soup noodles inside of there. So I would never go ahead and use mine because I'm sure that mine is absolutely hummets and the nozzle is, is plastic. In the event, again, that you have an adult house and when you take coffee, water just comes out and that's it. <laughs> so then if that's all, the, that's, it, that's the extent of its use. So then, then, then it's not, it never became chametzik. If it ever became chametzik, you could use it on Pesach. So curing would be an example of that. That if you know that the, all you've used your curing for uh, is just straight up coffee, you didn't start getting fancy with flavors and stuff like that, which is a, 
uh, which it could potentially be a hummus problem, but if you just use it for straight up coffee, doesn't matter, dark roast, light roast, medium roast, any of those those things, but if it's just coffee and it's just adults and nothing else would have touched it, so then, you know, you should be, uh, you should be fine as far as, as far as that also. Wipe the outside, just make sure that it's clean on the outside, and that should be fine for Pesach, uh, Pesach as well. Okay. Okay, now, wait, I have a question. Yes. Okay, sorry. Um, so if you're allowed to use a non a crepe microwave, let's say somewhere, and you just double wrap it, why can't you use a microwave like that on Pesach and double wrap uh, it? It could be you could. It's just not, uh, it, it's not a, uh, such a reliable uh, system to use it consistently like that. But if somebody did that, so then they probably would not be eating chametz. That's what I do. We kosher the microwave, we get a new glass, and the, we just I just double wrap everything because it's only right before yantiv. It's not like you know on yantiv. But if I, right. okay, right, okay. Now uh, let's move to because the sink is the hardest part. So let's move to the uh, refrigerator and the freezer. So refrigerator and freezer. So one of the things, uh, the rules about uh, something becoming chametzik or trade, again, uh, subsequently kashering it from that, is that in order for something to absorb taste, meaning when it becomes chametzik, it's because it absorbed chametz taste. So there are two necessary conditions for something for taste to get absorbed, and they are number one is heat, and number two is liquid. So if you make you make chicken soup in a pot, so you have soup as liquid, you have heat, which is heat. So that allows the chicken soup taste to get absorbed into the pot and that makes the pot now flaccid, permanently flaccid, unless you, you extract it. So, um, in the, um, so the advantage of a refrigerator and a freezer is that it's a cold environment. So in a cold environment, so it makes it very hard for taste to get absorbed. So the refrigerator may be depending on you know whether you're uh, optimistic or pessimistic, it may be filthy, it may be have some smudge on it, it may have some spills on it or whatnot, but it's unlikely that it actually became full-on chametzdik in the sense that hot liquid got absorbed into the walls, into the ceiling, into the floor, or into any of the shelves. It's just an unlikely occurrence, that, and we don't expect something like that is going to happen. Uh, on top of which, by and large, most foods are put into the refrigerator. Again, I'm not judging if it's different for you, but most foods get put into the refrigerator in a container. You're not taking your leftover chicken and just slapping it down on the shelf in your refrigerator and uh, just leaving it there for uh, leftovers in case the kids get hungry. Shabbos afternoon, go grab some chicken off of the, the, the shelf of the refrigerator. So uh, the stuff, by and large, is going to be in a container anyways. So those things are, for the most part, it's unlikely that they're actually chametzdik, but there is a lot of spills, and a lot of stuff which collects on the bottom. So here also is a question, how much time should I spend trying to clean out my refrigerator so it should be sparkling, brand spanking new? And the answer is not so much. Not so much because again, one of the great things about chametz is it's an inanimate object. So if you've got lots of chametz crumbs all the way at the bottom of the refrigerator, how on Pesach is it going to jump up into your into your Pesach thick chicken soup and die kamikaze bomb into your chicken soup and say, woohoo, we went ahead and we made the chicken soup now uh, chametzik. It can't happen because it's an inanimate object. 
So even if you have lots of stuff at the bottom, you spritz it down. You, you did minimum, uh, you know, uh, cleaning, whatever is going to be to spritz it down so it should look pretty good. But you didn't get into all the nooks and crannies. You know, there's stuff at the bottom. If there's only stuff which is at the bottom, it can't get up. It's not going to climb up uh, by its own. And you should be okay as far as those, those, those things are, are, are concerned. So what I do for me is when we start to, when we, it's time to go ahead and do the, uh, the refrigerator in the, uh, the, the freezer. So I start the bath upstairs straight hot water, put a bunch of Dawn, whatever it is, is going to be. They don't pay advertising, so we won't mention it. But you go ahead and put in some dishwashing uh, soap. I as I take the shelves out, somebody goes and they all just sit in the hot water for like 15, 20 minutes as we're dismantling the, uh, the refrigerator, pulling it out to clean behind it, because that's, as I said, that's one of my jobs, even though you don't need to do so. But you go ahead and that stuff sits in the hot water, hot soapy water for 15, 20 minutes. And then when that's done, just quickly take a sponge, just wipe all of the, the surface down very quickly, rinse it off, bring it back down in the, in the, and sorry, while, while this stuff is in there also, so I use my steamer for this, and I go ahead and I steam the, the walls and whatever surface is exposed just to loosen up whatever is there, try and wipe that down, and then once I've done a relatively um, quick job of steaming and uh, steaming, not for cashing purposes, but is, is, uh, just to, to loosen the stuff to, to be able to wipe it down. Then I reconstruct the refrigerator, put everything back in, and I consider that to be ready to go for, uh, for, uh, for Pesach. I don't cover the shelves. I don't cover the shelves. None of the food is touching the shelves directly anyways. So, uh, you know, so how is it taste? Even if, again, this uh, where you have to think cautious wise, let's assume that my notebook over here, this is a shelf inside of my refrigerator and it's actually hummus there. Let's just say it's actually hummus. Now I take my pan of Pesa Vicky chicken and I put it over here. So how does the taste inside of the shelf get into this pan of chicken? The only way it could get in there is at the point of contact between the pan of chicken and the shelf, there has to be heat and water. How are you gonna have heat and water at this point of contact? So it could be, you put this down on the, on the, um, on the, uh, the countertop where it was wet. And then when you picked it up, you put it over here and now you actually have water, maybe, but it's an unlikely occurrence. And by that time, it's already more than 24 hours. There's lots of reasons why it's not something that you need to make yourself crazy over. So in the event that you have plenty of time you find yourself on the 5th of Nissan and your house is already ready to go. And you just ask me, what am I going to do for the next, uh, you know, 10 days when everything is cooked and everything is, uh, everything is clean? You know what? I'm going to spend time cleaning my, uh, my, uh, the shelves of my refrigerator. Then you could do so. But if you have other stuff to do, I wouldn't spend time covering the, uh, the, the shelves in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the refrigerator and the freezer even more so. Because the freezer obviously is a much colder environment. So yeah, I don't know how food spills in the, the freezer. I haven't figured out the science. You know, I have to figure out where the socks go in the, in the, the dryer. So then I'll figure out how all that food spills out in the, uh, in the freezer. But again, I just, we pull out everything which, we're, we're, which, which is not going to remain there for Pesach, wipe down the surface, the, the, uh, the shelves get, to get cleaned and then reconstruct it back in. And I don't make myself crazy all of the uh, the cracks and the nooks and crannies and trying to scrub it with a toothbrush and with toothpicks and stuff like that because once it's been spritzed, it's inedible. Whatever may be there is inedible anyways. And it's all at the bottom. So as an inanimate object, it's not getting into my food anyways. So it's, uh, it's okay. As I say every year, uh, it's okay for there to be chametz surfaces in your kitchen on Pesach because nobody kashers their floor. 
So your floor undoubtedly has had some hot chametz liquid spill on it at some point, and we don't cash our floors for Pesach. Again, it's a nice chum if you would like to adopt that, but we don't go ahead and uh, and do so. So uh, so we're, we're, we could be comfortable with a chametzika surface there as long as we're confident that it's not going to end up inside of my system. I'm not going to end up eating anything from that. So the stuff, the crumbs, or the the, the ichi stuff, which is the bottom of the freeze, the bottom of the fridge. So I'm not worried about that because how's it going to get into my uh, into my food anyways? Okay, so that's going to take care of the fr- fridge and the freezer. Now the truth is, depending on your the amount of freezer space which you have. So it is possible that to have one part of your freezer with your Pesach Tika stuff, another part of the freezer with Chametz Tika stuff, as long as it's clearly marked. So you want it wrapped, you want tape around it. You want to make sure that in the event that somebody is uh, starving, uh, you know, after the Seder, don't know how that happens, but they're starving a- a- after the Seder or something like that, or by the, by the second day, as if they haven't eaten in three days. So the person will go, is they're starving, we don't want them to accidentally go into the freezer and eat something which is chametzik. So I want to be a barrier there. So before they actually eat that food, they'll stop and pause and say, uh-oh, this is actually chametz. And that way, uh, so you want to make sure to do that. I always advise, again, for the reason, rule number two, that chametz is an inanimate object. Put your Pesach stuff on top, your chametzik stuff on the bottom. If you do it the other way, so then some of the chametz can actually spill, gravity will work against you. So you don't want your chametz to fall onto your Pesach stuff. So I would do it the other way. You could do that in your refrigerator also if you need the, the space to designate an area to be chametzik, as long as it's clearly, clearly marked so that you will not, nobody will accidentally take any of it during, uh, during Pesach. Yep. Right. So the question is, uh, how, how, how right? There's always a chance that something could go from somewhere, something you didn't clean, you have a little bit of residue there, ends up on. Um, the next surface, which ends up on the next surface, which ends up on the next surface, which ends up on your on your on your uh, your matzah. Could it happen? Yeah, could happen. Does halacha say that we need to be concerned about that possibility? I don't think so. Once you've spritzed everything down, it's making it inedible. So it's really inedible. So if you accidentally ingest it, you're ingesting something which is inedible. So that's not really a problem, anyway. It's not a violation of the isudaraisa. So we don't have to make ourselves too crazy. Is is as far as that. So that is going to take care of the refrigerator and the fridge. Now, countertops. So uh, all of the booklets, the Aguda and the CRC and the OU and SARK, everybody's busy with the different materials that your countertop are made, is made from and whether or not it is a kosherable material. So some materials are kosherable, some materials are not kosherable. I, 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 I don't have the head for that. I don't have a head for anything really kashras, you know, kashras symbols and the, you know, labels and stuff like that. I, I, I just don't, uh, I can't follow all of that. But that is something which some are very busy. Um, in technically, if you have a material which you could kasher, so then you would kasher that with either the pouring of the boiling water or a steamer in the event that you have the uh, the steamer, which we uh, which we recommend. But once again, 
I find it much easier for us rather than because it would take me a, it would take me a really long time to feel confident that I steamed it properly, you know, going very thoroughly uh, inch by inch uh, through the uh, through the thing. So uh, I, I'm much more comfortable taking a bunch of contact paper and just not me anymore, my kids. But they, 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 the, the challenge always is how few bubbles can you get with your contact paper on the thing? And I just let them take care of that and everything is covered. And I don't bother with the boiling water. I don't bother with the steamer over there. It's too much. And if they're excited to try and see if they get as few bubbles as possible. So it just makes life easier for me. So I go, I, I go that route. So people are very creative as far as what they use to, uh, to, to cover it. But uh, I just find that to be easier, safer, and uh, you know the, uh, that's, that's the way I approach it. But otherwise, you'd have to use the boiling water, which we'll talk about now when we get to, uh, to, to the sink. So the sink um, is, oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And I leave the contact paper on until the next year. And then, like now, I'm taking off last year's contact paper, wiping down my my counter. It's basically, do I have to re-contact uh, paper it? Because it's been covered all year, and I don't use food, I don't use any food stuff stuff there for a year except for Pesach. No, sounds like that. In the event that one has a Pesach kitchen. And they uh, um, after it was make sure after Pesach last year you covered it with contact paper or you for no, Pesach no, last year for Pesach no, last year so it was covered with contact paper and then the contact paper remained until now and now the question is can we just peel off the contact paper now and use the counter directly because it's not it's not chametz thick because yeah so that, that that should be fun that should be fun. Thank you. Okay, now when it comes to a sink, so sink also, the so two things you need to know. So number one is, is there also, postcom are very busy, booklets are very busy with what material your sink is uh, your sink is made of. The best thing halakhali to do is to get yourself a stainless steel sink. That's uh, the easiest thing. We know for sure that's kosherable. We don't have to worry about mixture of different stones and plastics and anything uh, anything like that. Stainless steel really in, uh, the, in your dream kitchen, you should be dreaming stainless steel sink. That's what you want. So now, uh, so your stainless steel sink that actually can becomes full on chametzik. If all the things in your in your kitchen besides the stove and the oven, which become full on chametz, that's going to be your your sink. If you make pasta even once, and you go ahead and you drain the pasta into your sink, so you've got boiling hot chametzik of water pouring into the sink. You don't get much more chametzik than that. So if you're going to use your sink on Pesach, so obviously you need to, uh, to kasher that. So since the absorption is primarily from pouring, what we call eroy in, in Hebrew, so the method of kashering is also going to be, eroy is going to be by pouring. So what, what the postman would said was that you want to boil up lots of tea kettles and whatnot. So now you have to clean the entire surface. So here, since you're kashering with boiling water rather than with fire, so the kashering method of boiling water only works on a clean surface. And you cannot kasher, it has to be 24 hours since its last use, since its last chametzik use. So many people will kasher like on a Mozart Shabbos because that way you have a Shabbos where it was not so hard to not use the sink, to not use the hot water in the sink for, the 20, for those 24 hours. You just have to be mindful whatever you're pouring into the sink, you know, that Shabbos, whether or not uh, it was, it was chametzik. But it needs to be clean 
American weather makes it. Air will be the 24 hours, right? So you would go ahead and, so now once it's the surface is clean and you waited 24 hours. So now what you do is, so you're going to boil up water. And what you have is, if you imagine, if you can imagine a tea kettle. So when you tip the tea kettle, you have a stream which is coming out. That stream is what's going to do the kashring. So wherever that hit, that stream hits the, the bottom of the sink, that one spot where the stream hit, that's now kosher. Water spritzed all over the place, but that other stuff is not kosher. So you literally need stream to hit the entire surface in order for it to be kosher. So at the bottom of your sink, that's not so bad because gravity is your friend. The problem I always have with koshering a sink with, uh, with boiling water is how you get boiling water to travel horizontally. When you're going to go ahead and do the walls of your sink, so how do you thoroughly and, uh, and, and effectively make sure that the stream, it's not enough to hit the top of it and the water rush down. It has to be, the stream has to hit every part, every surface, uh, every square inch, let's say, uh, has to have its own stream, go ahead and hit it. So when you're trying to do that this way, so you could spritz a whole bunch all at once, again, dangerous because boiling water is flying all over the place, but you have no idea where the water hit and where it didn't because you were shielding yourself from getting hit with the boiling water. So I always found that to be a very sketchy, difficult thing to imagine how this is being done halakhically. And it always bothered me because I think it's pretty important for Pesach because we use our sinks uh, pretty often. At least we do. I don't know. So, uh, so uh, uh, you know, a number of years ago, people started to suggest the use of a steamer. And uh, I brought the steamer to, uh, to Rabbi First a couple of weeks before uh, Pesach that, uh, that year. And we, you know, we experimented with it and we showed him how it worked and how hot the surface gets when it hits the, uh, the steam, you know, when the nozzle is, you know, a quarter inch away, half an inch away, an inch away, all those differences in terms of how, how much it, it cools down. But he said that you could go ahead and you could use this for kashrut. That's considered to be pouring boiling water. So the advantage of that is that when it's coming out of the steam, when you hit the trigger, and the stuff comes out, that actually can travel horizontally. So now suddenly you can do it and you can be sure that you follow like a Zamboni. I mean, you're not doing the exact pattern, but you just go back. I just go start from the bottom and I just go back and forth slowly going one line after the other until I make it to the top. And then I move to the next wall. And again, start at the bottom and I just go back and forth slow. It's slow and tedious. It doesn't save me any time because I, I, I do it slowly to make sure that the, the, the steam as it hits it is actually getting each part. But I know I can visibly see the steam hitting each part. So at least I have the confidence that it's, it's being done that way. So in my sink, which is not a particularly big sink, I mean, it's two sinks, but it takes me at least 20 minutes to go ahead and, uh, you know, to, uh, to kasha that. But I have halachic confidence that, uh, that uh, the, 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 the water hit that. So I can't say anything about any other steamer. I, I only showed Rabbi first one steamer. This is a steamer that he said works. I think I'm on my third of them because kids use it for all sorts of different things. We lose it, you know, <laughs> but I've done that. So, uh, so, but uh, I'm on the third one, but uh, I'd be more than happy to share a link. I could find it again and share a link with, uh, you know, whoever wants it. Usually it goes up in price around Pesach time because I think they know already that the Jews buy it sometime, uh, you know, March and uh, April. All of a sudden everybody's looking for this, uh, this, this, uh, this steamer. But I'd be more than happy. So I use that rather than pouring the, uh, the boiling water. So I do that again, clean, make sure that it hasn't been used in 24 hours. And then I use the steamer without any attachments. Just the, the, you know, as little as possible. So you get the steam coming out, comes out with that force. So it's actually pushing out. I do that. I do the faucet. 
Also, I, I actually unscrew the thing at the bottom, make sure to clean that a little bit because that also can get food in there. And certainly you could have a very hot steam, which is, which is there. So I, I clean that out, but I steam the entire, the, the handles and the faucet and everything which is up there. All of that gets a, gets a good steaming. And then, uh, you know, I consider that to be, uh, to be kosher and ready to, uh, to go. So whatever surface can be kosher, you would use either the boiling water or the, uh, the the steamer. If you have material which they say is not going to be kosher, so then you have to get yourself those bins. You have to make sure that nothing uh, goes outside of the bins and that there's no way for the hot water to like back up into the in, in, into the bin. They sell pretty nice uh, uh, bins which have a drain at the bottom. You see, you just a bin without a drain. But now I think they even have them with a drain at the bottom, a hole at the bottom to for that. So that makes that uh, a little bit easier. Somebody has some, you're gonna ask something about the sink? You asked, you're gonna say that about Okay, good. So that is going to be as far as the uh, the faucet is concerned. One last thing in the kitchen, and then we'll just move quickly on to medications and the cosmetics and whatnot. And then if you guys have any other questions, great. Otherwise we'll, uh, we'll call it a night. So now shelves all around the shelves or pantries or cabinets inside of the kitchen where you, where you store stuff. So first of all, Anything which is going to be taped off, which is going to be marked off and is going to be sold to the non-Jew, is going to be sold to Ernesto, do not clean, do not touch it at all, just leave it there. You shouldn't spend any time. Ernesto doesn't mind. I've spoken to him about it you know, for a number of years already. He doesn't mind if we go ahead and we sell him dirty drawers and cabinets and stuff like that, and pantries and stuff like that. So that doesn't bother him, number one. Those things which are going to be used, so as we said, in order for something to actually become chametzik, you need the two prerequisites of heat and liquid. So where you store your chametz stick in dishes, how does that surface become chametz stick? It can't, because why in your cabinet would there ever be hot chametz going there? This is where you store your dishes. This is not where you put hot stuff. So all of those things are technically, we, we refer to even, even your, your, your candy cabinet or even your snack drawer where you have cookies and you have crackers and you have pretzels, you have all of that stuff. As much as you have tons of crumbs there, none of that taste gets absorbed into the surface. So if you know that you cleaned up those crumbs, then it's based off there. You don't have to cover it. You don't have to do any of those things because now in the snack drawer, if you're going to use it, so then you may want to cover it because maybe you didn't get all the crumbs out or whatever. But other things where you're going to store, let's say your Pesach dishes for the, for the Sadarm or your Pesach drinking glass or whatever, once you clean, you spritz the surface and you wipe it down, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. It's not a chametzika surface anyways, because you never have hot liquid, which is going into the, where you store your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your plates and your dishes and your, uh, your drinking glasses and your silverware. So there also, again, people have this tendency to think that it needs to look like a space shuttle or something with a tinfoil everywhere in order to actually be paceptic, but that's way too much effort and it's way too much time spent, which will be ultimately at the expense of the Seder. So it's not worth doing it. So whatever you're going to use, just take out all the stuff which is not going to be there, spritz it, wipe it down once, and it should be, uh, it, it should be fine afterwards. And you don't have to spend lots of time cutting and pasting and doing all of those things to make sure that, uh, that it looks nice. Just put it in uh, as is. Okay, and, and yeah. Right, some people don't like to look at it, but we, we, we don't do it. But I, just, I, I, put, I put a piece of tape on it and that's it two pieces of tape on it so that somebody doesn't open it accidentally, but that's just, uh, but no, it's just dishes anyways. Yeah, it's, there's no hummus. Actually, no, we have some of those little bottles of liquor in there, actually. Yes, yeah. What? Dishwashers, so we wouldn't do a dishwasher because there's too much plastic in there. 
um, Svaradim will kasher plastic, mm-hmm. but so even that, but it's very hard to clean because you have to get into the drain to get all that stuff out. So uh, yeah, but we but you would do it again. It's I mean yeah. Right. Okay, so that is so that that as far as the the kitchen is concerned. If I forgot something, so you guys will uh, reach out to me uh, later. Yeah. 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 I, I no, I I just do the, the the only thing which I take off is just the aerator, the thing at the very end. That's the only thing I take out and I clean. The rest of it I steam in place. I, I I I wouldn't open up for pesa because I don't know what gets in there. I don't know how that's. I, I just think I would leave it closed. I don't have one of those, but I don't use my spritzer thing. We don't use the spritzer thing. We have just the side spritzer thing. It's broken anyways at this point, but uh, but we never use that for pesa. That we just left to the side. That's all. That, that that whole piece is plastic, so I never even bothered to try. Um, okay, I have a question. They, they asked, sorry, they asked about the, uh, the if you have a faucet where it, the, it has a hose and extends outwards, do you have to go ahead and kosher all of that? So I, I just leave all of that in place. I wouldn't pull it out on Pesach. Yes. Okay, let's just focus on the Okay. Yeah. I, okay, good. So, so, I think so. So, so we, we don't consider, as you'll see in a moment, the question was about the soap dispenser, which you have on the side of this, which is part of the, the sink over there. So we don't consider soap to be chametzik anyways. And that nothing can really get into your soap dispenser. Like how would it get in? <laughs> when it's, you, know, you only take things out really from there. So you would wipe off the outside to make sure that there's no like chametz, which may have attached, you know, got stuck on the outside. But other than that, it's not really chametzik. It's just soap. So soap is, soap is fine. Soap should really be fine. Okay, so now when it comes to uh, um, when it comes, let's we'll do toiletries first. When it comes to toiletries, so anything which is a solid, like a bar of soap, anything which is a powder, anything which is a gel, so none of those are, have chametz problems at all. So it doesn't matter. You could have, and then there's a lot of liquids. It's also shampoo is never a problem. Conditioner is never is never going to be a problem. Shaving gel is never a problem. None of those things are going to be a problem. The only thing they have to be concerned about when it comes to toiletries are something which is in liquid form and has some sort of grain alcohol. So sometimes there are deodorants, you know, spray on deodorants which may have some alcohol in them, which could potentially be a problem. And perfumes and aftershaves. That's really by and large what it is. Your nail polish remover is not going to be a problem, even though it's a liquid. Your nail polish isn't a problem, even though it's a liquid. None of that stuff is going to be a problem. It's really your perfumes, aftershave, and deodorant is the one that you have to do. All of the things have uh, all of the uh, the the booklets tell you which deodorants are approved, which are not. You can either look it up. What I tell people every year is just go to Jewel and see which ones they don't have. And that will tell you that's the one which is that's the one which is Pesach day because they run out of the, that one. So that's the easiest way to go. That's how you find out which toothpaste is acceptable. That's how you find out which deodorants are acceptable. Just find out which, see whatever is they no longer have on the shelf. And that's usually a good, uh, is usually a good indicator. Yes. What what you if, can I ask you something? One sec, one second. Okay. Right, solid deodorant is not a problem. And gel deodorant is also is, is not a problem. Spray deodorant people like because you could use it on Shabbos and Yantif as opposed to the salad. So that's why that's uh, people will give preference there. Yes, Malky. What about with um, oatmeal? It's chametz. 
What about oatmeal? Oatmeal like they, soap? They have oatmeal. Yeah, they have things like this: oatmeal soaps and creams and and, yeah, and you, you can it's have fine. that. What? It's we, we have that in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah but no, uh, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> but no. but we, we 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 hold we hold that when it's in soap form or it's in shampoo form, it's it's inedible that a dog would need it, and therefore it doesn't it's it's not hummus, which is a problem, even if it has oatmeal. That is interesting. Liquid body wash is fine. Many years ago, like twenty years ago at this point, maybe twenty three years ago or something. So in the uh, Gouda booklet, they, they said that you're not allowed to use, they, they said it was in the Gouda booklet, they say you're not allowed to use wheat germ shampoo. It has wheat germ, how could you use it? So I called her by first, I said, why can't you use wheat germ shampoo? He says, I don't know, why are you asking? I said, because it's in your booklet. He said, well, that was a mistake. <laughs> so since then it, has, it hasn't been in there because we don't consider that stuff to be uh, edible for a dog and anything which is inedible for a dog is not hummus. It's just gross. Okay, now when it comes to medication. So uh, medications is uh, uh, anything which is a straight pill, which you're just going to swallow, doesn't have any taste, it's not a liquid, and it's not designed to have any taste. So all of that is fine. We don't consider that to be a food that's inedible. You're not eating it in the normal way when you ingest it. It's not for the purpose of eating. And therefore that's not going to be a problem. The problem you run into is if you're going to have some sort of liquid, which, you know, uh, you know, children's, uh, you know, Tylenol or children's Motrin or something, which is designed to taste good. So that's really where you begin to run into, uh, into a problem. So even for an adult, if there's a medication which the doctor prescribes, and you can't get something and it's, uh, it uh, is addressing a pretty serious medical condition. So we'll probably be making on that also. Despite sometimes they'll say, you know, try and, you know, wrap it up in something before you go ahead and swallow it. There's different ways that we address it. But uh, anything, but uh, anything which is a pill is fine. Something which is designed for taste. So then you want to check and make sure that it's on the approved list. You have to be very specific because there's things which sound similar, but they're actually different from one another. Sometimes one variety is approved and then one of them is not approved. I have the list here in case you want to see the cosmetics and medications. My experience is whatever you ask me about isn't in the book. Not because it's not kosher, just because apparently whatever medication people in Shul here take is never is never is, ne is never research. But you'd be more than happy to go ahead and look through that and see what the you know see what the what 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 is there. I'd be happy to go ahead and look uh, look it up uh, for you. But that uh, something which is most people who are going to be taking just straight up pill medication is not going to be a problem anyways on, on Pesach. Every year they have that letter which comes out from Rabbi First, now Rabbi Reese and Rabbi Zucker saying all those things are, 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 going to, are going to be fine. So the thing that you would just be mindful of is kids' medication, which is meant to, uh, which is meant to taste good. Your antacids, you need to make sure, you know, those types of uh, things also. Yes. Um, it should be pill, pill form the vitamins should, should be the same thing. Certainly if one is taking it because they actually need the vitamin. If you're just a person's taking just a multivitamin because they want to, but if there's a, you know, there's a deficiency in something and one's taking a vitamin, so that's really medication. They just call it vitamin. Something which you, that's fine. That's not, that's not eating it. Something which is, a, which is, I, I, I went to pick up a, a, um, a prescription uh, for Frady. And they they had the stuff from her, left over from her surgery, mm -hmm. so the first thing they pulled out it was a it was a thing. I look at it, I say I don't see any pills in there, and I pick it up, and it was one of those little vials that you would stick your your um, syringe in. And I said, "What do you think I'm going to do with this? <laughs> Why are you giving this to me?" 
I'll pass on this one. We don't we don't need it anyways. But... I don't know what they were thinking, but apparently you could get that at Jewel. Um, yeah, so, so that, that certainly would be okay. Anything which is uh, which you're going to uh, which goes through a syringe is uh, will be okay. Um, anything else I forgot? Anything else you need to know? Oh yeah, so 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 so, so toothpaste. So th there's machlokas whether or not you need specifically kosher for Pesach toothpaste. Um, Shomazaman held no that the toothpaste by definition is inedible, even though it has a minty taste. It's inedible. Dogs would eat it, even though dogs would eat it. But he's still considered to be an inedible. The CRC I just checked again today. They say throughout the year they're not concerned about the kashrus of toothpaste. But for Pesach, they're extra machmer, and they recommend getting a kosher for Pesach one. So if you get a kosher for Pesach one, so you'll get a kosher for Pesach one. It's a, you know, one of the ones which is on the list. If you can't find it, so it's not really considered to be edible. That's true with your mouthwash as well. It's going to be the, it's going to be the same thing. We talked about everybody is all uptight about getting a new toothbrush uh, for uh, for Pesach. I don't know how your toothbrush actually becomes chametzik, because if you need heat and liquid, so liquid you have in your mouth, Who's brushing their teeth when there's boiling hot liquid in their mouth? Don't know. Not me. Not judging. But I don't think it's actually happening to anybody. People start a new tube of toothpaste when it comes to uh, to Pesach because maybe your toothpaste becomes chametzik again. Toothpaste goes out. Nothing should be going in. If you're shoving your toothbrush into the toothpaste thing, that's pretty gross. And you, yeah, after you've already finished brushing your teeth, that's where you store your thing. So there's, you know, there, I, I, I could introduce you to people who could help you with that probably. <laughs> Maybe they can't help you, but, you know, somebody's going to do that. So, but but anyways, it's those things. At, at some point, you're going to need a new tube of toothpaste anyway. So get a new tube of toothpaste now for Pesach. At some point, you have to change your toothbrush. So get a new toothbrush. You know, you know same thing with lipstick. You know, do you put lipstick when you have crumbs all over your teeth? You just ate a snickerdoodle cookie. You put lipstick there, and now you've got all these crumbs all over. That's that's gross. I assume that nobody, I don't put on lipstick. Again, please don't judge. But that's a, but it's something which uh, which I don't imagine that you're putting on. But even if you do, if you just wipe it off right once right before Pesach, and there's no crumbs there, so then how does it become chametz stick? I don't know. But people get a new thing. What? It's it's not designed for eating. It's not it's not really supposed to be edible. I, I can't imagine that that lipstick is any more edible than toothpaste. Toothpaste. I, I, I have a question. What? Um. What you didn't bring up Hagala at all. Uh, oh, we did go talk about kashering your silverware. I assume most people are not kashering silverware. They have a separate set of silverware uh, for Pesach. In the event that you don't, so I could describe to you how you would kosher it at home, but don't go to Tells, go to HTC, go to someplace where they're having a communal. Somebody offered here. So I have Somebody to come to Chicago? Is what? that what you're saying? So I have to come to Chicago? Um, it could be that that would be the closest place to, to do so. <laughs> so sure. It'll be expensive because it's uh, heavy to carry around all <laughs> in your carry-on, that uh, all that silverware. But, uh, but yeah, Florida. so you, I would go to one of the communal places where they'll take care of it for you, have somebody else do it for you rather than do it yourself. That's great. Uh, and somebody said they, we, if they want, we could actually have, they have a large kashering pot, which we could do here. So if somebody's interested, we could, you know, we could, we could arrange that here if, if you want. But I assume most people have separate silverware. Nobody's kashering silverware anymore. No. So Svarm, uh, uh, Svarm, they, they also used to be very busy. If you're looking for um, the size of a kazayas, I imagine if there was like a tam-tam in, in a sitter. So you'd look at the side of the sitter and you'd say, whoa, what's keeping that page open? You, you, you'd be able to detect that there's something there. 
So there are people who are very machbid um, to avoid svarim, which they use during the year. You know, they certainly wouldn't bring it to the table on, uh, on, uh, on Pesach. So, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, that, that's as far as I, I, I would go. I don't, uh, most people are not checking through all of their, all of their svarim. If you happen to see something in the thing, yeah. If you remember, that was uh, one of my uh, recent traumas was uh, related to Sfarm on Pesach. We, you, you can go if you guys want. We're, we're done. Just telling stories now. But I was by my, my sister and brother-in-law in Muncie. So always, a, always oh, oh yeah, always a, fun, always a fun trip. So it was a few weeks before Pesach. And I feel bad because they really enjoyed their shul, their Hasidic shul. But they don't start davening to 10. And the davening, they use tunes that I don't know. And it's just too much Yiddish for me. And I just, I can't, I can't, uh, those times have become way too litish to be able to, you know, to be able to tolerate any of that. But I feel bad because they're having us for Shabbos and they, they, they were like, so I, I went there uh, for when they were, da- when they were having Shal Shudas. I feel I'll go there after Mincha and I'll say, well, they're having Shal Shudas and then I'll hear a drasha in Yiddish, which I'll understand every sixth word or something like that. Uh, some, and then, but then I'll daf marv with them and then I'll, uh, I'll go home because what am I going to do anyways? So I was sitting there and, uh, you know, I had to prepare daf yomi. So they have a tablecloth on the uh, on the table because they're eating. They're eating in the base matters. That's what the, they do. So they put tab- white tablecloths on the tables and they're all eating whatever it is that they're eating. So I'm sitting next to my brother-in-law. So I grab the Gemara for Dafyomi, tomorrow's Dafyomi. And I'm sitting there, you know, just uh, just learning, minding my own business. And I say, you know what? Pesach is coming. There's chametz all over the table. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be at tzaddik. I'm going to fold over the tablecloth and I'll learn with my Gemara here. And that way I'll make sure that it doesn't get anywhere near the chametz. So I'm sitting there, you know, literally, like going like this as I'm reading, and some guy walks up, as I'm going like this, lifts up, <laughs> lifts up the gemar, doesn't say anything to me. He lifts up the gemar, folds back the tablecloth, puts the gemar down, and walks away. He said nothing, I said nothing, but I was traumatized. <laughs> so I, I don't know what just happened. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what he did. I don't know why he did that, but it was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to go and pretend I didn't see anything. There's nothing to see here. So then the next day we were, we were driving back. So when we drive back, so we're, you know, going through the mountains of Pennsylvania, everybody in the car is asleep. I have to somehow stay awake because I got, I got to make the drive. So I have a friend who, one, one of my Chosh Mishma friends, so he's a Baba Rechassid, which my sister and brother-in-law are Baba Rechassidim. So I, I said, you know, I, you know we, we schmoozed a little bit and I said, can I ask you a question? Because I was just in Muncie for Shabbos. He said, yeah. He says, well, I was sitting there at Shal Shodas and I was learning, preparing for Dafyomi, and I decided to fold the tablecloth over so I wouldn't get any hummus on the table. He says, I know what happened. I said, how do you know what happened? I know what happened. But how could you know what happened? You weren't there. I know what happened. What happened? He said, what happened was, you were sitting there learning Dafyomi, some guy came over, lifted up your gemara, folded over the tablecloth, <laughs> put the gemara right down and walked away. I said, how could you possibly know that that happened? So he explained to me about how by, by Hasidim, that they're, they're, they're like, Meshuggah, I mean, he wouldn't use that word, but they're very mockwood that the table has to remain covered for the entire Shabbos. And I did them like one of the most offensive things. Yeah, it's like Erva. I did like one of the most offensive things by folding the tablecloth over and exposing the table. And he knew right away that that was an offensive thing and that somebody wouldn't be able to tolerate that. And therefore, they went ahead and they, uh, they, they, they did so. So I, said to, so I said to my friend, I said, but you, you, you're in this huge base medrash in Borough Park. Like, what do they do with all this farm if they're not, if they're not a market? He said, all the farm that are out there the whole year are all, nobody touches them. They have a whole separate library, which they use just for Pesach. 
in order to avoid it. In order to avoid pulling over the table clock in doing that. So they have a whole separate library that they use just for Pesach in order to avoid any chametz in the in the farm. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank God. Thank God for that. Everything, yes. Okay, everybody. So hopefully you're not going to extend yourselves too too much. Uh, getting ready for uh, for Pesach is, as we said at the outset, the goal is to be able to get to the Siddur with energy, with excitement, with enthusiasm, to be able to enjoy the Seder, to be able to have um, lively discussions about Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, be able to uh, uh, share the story with everybody who's there. And Halavai, I hope that everybody has some time because they're not going to spend as much time cleaning and whatnot to actually open up a Haggadah before the Seder, prepare something so that you have something to think about, something to ask about, something to say, because that would be uh, uh, the uh, absolute ideal. All righty. Thank you. All righty. Thank you.